Welcome, everyone, to the Stupid Sexy Podcast. Feels like a podcast and nothing at all. I am Chris. That is Dan. And Dan, tell them what episode we're reviewing this week. <clears throat> Season 2, Episode 19. Directed by Rich Moore, written by John Vitti. It is Lisa Substitute, aired on April 25th, 1991. A very, very important episode. This is in the top tier of Lisa-centric episodes, 100%. Because this is probably the best character development she gets in the early seasons. We've already had a little bit of character development with Lisa in season one, with her the Bleeding Gums Murphy angle and everything like that. But now we're really going to delve deeper into Lisa's personality, and especially her relationship with her father, which... Has been questioned multiple times. In fact, the next time we get a really good Lisa-centric episode, when we do Lisa the Vegetarian, it's the same thing. It's her values and beliefs combined with her relationship with her father. Yeah, It's very, very important. I like important. this one more than, early, than the, like, the ones we had so far, because this one was a less bitchy. <laughs> yes, that is, that's also true. That's the other thing about Lisa, right, is sometimes she's right and other times she's a bitch. So, which, which one are we getting this time? But, yeah, this is... Uh, Although she does go overboard by the end. But... Oh, yes, yes. She, like, immediately realizes it. <laughs> she does, she yeah. Uh, so, real quick, let me do plugs real quick, because this is a, a important episode and a lot to talk about. Uh, we have The Nerd Table, Real Paranormal Talk, Ranking Tracks, Motivational Moves, Jay Bunny's Music Hub, The Bored to Death Bingecast, The Race Nerd Podcast, By the Numbers, and The A-Show, all available for your listening pleasure on CKCC Radio. And for bonus content, including bonus episodes of Ranking Tracks, as well as Race Nerd Podcast, and a weekly Wrestle Talk with Dan and myself, where we review classic wrestling episodes and do music video watch-alongs, you can subscribe to our patron at patron.com slash club kayfabe. All right. So first things first, there is no chalkboard gag. There is no. We have too much content. We have too much content, and we just can't. In fact, I think the only part of this episode that's cut out during syndication is right at the beginning with Bart showing the class the uh, the cat birth video. I actually think that's the... Uh, that might be the case, yeah, because in syndication, they pretty much show this whole episode. So there's no chalkboard gag because we don't have time for one. And they we immediately get... run into the living room and the couch is not there. There's just no couch. Where's the couch? We just don't know. So the episode starts off with the, the students all having a theory about what happened to Miss Hoover. Apparently she's gone insane. But no, she's just sick. She has Lyme disease. Or does she? We'll figure that out. So Principal Skinner kind of coddles her a little bit. Says her first name of Elizabeth, which that might be the first time it's mentioned. And he explains... Like, What's Lyme disease? And then he does complete rundown of Lyme disease as she's freaking out. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's caused by ticks, which we know. But Lyme disease itself affects your nervous system. And can eat away at your brain, which makes her freak out even more. So it's like, well, Skinner's going to run the class till we can find a substitute. And right away, he's 
upset because at Bart Simpson because above Lisa's classroom is Bart's classroom, which in future episodes, <laughs> such as less than 10 minutes from now, that gets switched. And Lisa's upstairs and Bart's downstairs, which has also been the case when the oil well erupts and who shot Mr. Burns. Because it goes through Bart's classroom. It's so first. weird. It's like a four-level school, and it's just an elementary school. Yeah, it's it's always changing. That's the thing. Like the layout. My, my high school wasn't even four levels. It was two and a half. Yeah, mine that was, was a high school, and there was a three. It was like a thousand, three thousand per, per class. Like ridiculous. Yeah, we had a. Uh, geez, what did we have? We had, we had two stories, but. The new wing that they had to build when the school got too big was just a one-story wing that they just added on. But they made it a, an obnoxiously long wraparound wing. So so we had, like, the half a basement because it's built into a hill because that's what you do because... Well, it's a military tactic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have a school be on the hill. <laughs> be on the hill. Pretty much, actually. yeah. Also, also for disasters. So people have a place to go um, in a disaster, which could also be military takeover. That's that's true. Which is, of course, the main reason. More easily defensible. It's on top of a hill. It's built into the hill. Anyway. So, yeah, Bart's showing this video of his cat, this cat giving birth, which is how they adopted Snowball, too. And, of course, it's like. The children are mortified by this. He's like, yeah, we were going to adopt the gray one, but the mom ate it. Now they're mortified even more in there. Martin's... Oh, check this out. If I hit rewind, <laughs> it goes back in time. <laughs> What's funny is that Krabappel's yelling at him to stop, but she's not actually stopping him. Stopping it. And then it takes Martin going, I believe he's scaring the children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, that's the, the case there. Uh, more with Bart and Martins shortly. <laughs> So, this cowboy shows up, <clears throat> and it is... Uh, and he shoots. <laughs> a joke that will Dude. not age well. <laughs> a joke that you could get away with in 1991. Because... He shoots the shit out of him. Yeah, he comes in with pistols blazing. Scares the crap out of Skinner. And he's like, I'm your substitute teacher, Mr. Bergstrom. He's like, you can uh, make fun of that name if you want. Two suggestions are Mr. Nerdstrom and Mr. Boogerstrom. So, of I'm course, Mr. Burgerstrom. So, of course, what's the, that's like the thing, right? Is he's trying to be the cool, the cool, uh, the cool teacher, right? That's his thing. The substitute teacher. He's like, guys, it is now 1830. Well, what's about combating the usual bullshit of the kids know it's a substitute, right? So, oh, yeah, yeah. So. He's like, it's now 1830, and there are three things historically inaccurate with my outfit. Who can figure them out? And, of course, Lisa, you get that little moment of realization. She's like, I think I know the answer, Mr. Bergstrom. All right, what's your name, little lady? Lisa Simpson. All right, so go for it. Well, the belt buckle says Texas, but Texas wasn't a state yet in 1830. And the revolver wasn't invented for, like, another five to ten years. She's like, oh, and you appear to be of the Jewish faith. He's like, and there were at no the Jewish. At the very least, Italian. <laughs> or at the very least, Italian. Yeah, I'm Jewish. He immediately corrects her because being Italian is just so bad. And there's no Jewish cowboys. Actually, there were lots of them. Big, strong men who spent their money. <laughs> like, he just throws that in there. 
And of course, that's the joke, right? Is Dustin Hoffman. So yes. we had to throw that out there. And But I love that the real thing was correct. I was also wearing a digital watch, but I'll accept this. Like the most obvious thing is the one she doesn't go for. It's like the Ben Hur. The guys are watching during Ben in Ben Hur. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So Lisa wins his hat by guessing everything correctly. So quick cut over to the other classroom, and Krabappel's like, "We need to elect a class president." Now I'm not supposed to choose sides, but I elect Martin, and Martin's immediately like, "We're gonna have a sci-fi literature library," and. Just like okay, so now we're gonna. There's the a lot other of nerd names another another uh, sci-fi author. He's like, yes, I am aware of his his work too. Yes, Wendell. <laughs> Wendell's the only ally Martin has here. So there's a lot of jump cuts. So we gonna we're gonna cut back real quick. And now we have home on the range now with facts. You know, home on the range where he's just like actually, you know, the range was was very very far from home. Where the deer and the antelope play. Well, actually, they were uh, they were natural enemies. Like he keeps just cutting in with facts, and while he's doing this, there's a note being passed around, the the crude notebook paper with a picture of him says the singing dork. And Janie passes it to Lisa, and of course, that's when he pops in the classic the classic trope, right? Is you get caught with the note you didn't write. Yep. And he's just like, uh, uh, "Did you write this? Did you draw this? It's good." No, of course I wouldn't. I would never be so immature. Are you sure? Well, now I kind of wish I did. And of course, that's the other thing. He's the cool substitute, so he's not even affected by it. He's just going for it. And then he leaves, and she gets immediately another note, and it's her. <laughs> the singing dorkette, which means they were literally drawing it up while the, while sh- the conversation was happening. <laughs> and of course, they uh, they also have... The reading of Charlotte's Web. And as he's reading the end of the book, he's choked up in tears. And I mean, that's the thing, right? Like he's, he's also the sensitive, sensitive teacher. But of course we have to cut back real quick because Sherry and Terry have nominated Bart Simpson for president. And the first thing he does is cut a campaign speech and get the entire classroom with the exception of the teacher, Martin and Wendell behind him so she immediately writes a note that says <laughs> keep bar <laughs> like, occupied keep bar distracted or whatever yeah it tells him to go to the principal's office with a note oh and i love his line too where he's like how would i know where the principal's office is and she's like what have i told you kids about encouraging him and then of course he's got his mouth up on the window and they're all cheering for him oh they, there's so many great callbacks to this too so back to Bergstrom. He's like, all right, everybody's got a talent. What's yours? So, of course, Janie's like, Janie's like, I don't have one. Well, I don't want to hear that. What's your talent? What can you do better than everybody? Sticks her tongue on her nose. The one kid just flaps it. Or the kid that looks like Ralph just flaps his mouth back and forth. And the one kid rolls his eyeballs back. He, he does that thing. I've, uh, do you ever know anybody who could do that? Actually, yes. like, tuck their... It's so gross. It's gross. Tuck it's their gross. eyelids in. I don't... I, I can't mess with the eye. The eyeball. Can't do it. That's why when I used to wear glasses, people were always like, you ever try contact lenses? I'm like, nope, because that involves me sticking something in my eye, and I can't do it. It's a psychological thing. I just cannot do it. I can barely even do eye drops. 
Half the time, what I have to do is I have to tilt my head back and just put the drop in the corner of the eye and blink it in because I can't, like, when I've got the thing right in front of my eyeball and I'm ready to pop it in there, I start shutting my eyes instinctively, even when I'm doing it. I've actually had to have my wife hold my eyeball open and do it for me because I just can't freaking do it. It drives me nuts. Do you ever do the contact lenses or you have the same issue? I don't know if I can do contact lenses. They might not be strong enough. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, – oh, that one always drove me nuts. And they're like, you ever try it? I'm like, nope, and I'm not going to, so don't ever bring this Glasses up Glasses for life, brother. Glasses for I don't life. Even, know, even if I could LASIK or whatever, I don't know if I would. Well, the LASIK didn't correct me to 2020 because my eyes aren't capable of being corrected that well, but – I am able to not wear glasses. I have the blue light filter glasses now mm-hmm. for when I'm using the computer, especially when we're playing our game stream. And I know I'm going to be looking at the screen for three hours and that does help. And I know when I hit 40, there's a chance I might need reading glasses or glasses to drive again, but I'm okay with that because I don't need them all the time. So, and I've been without them since I was 21 and I'm 36 now. So that's actually pretty cool. But anyway, uh, so Lisa's talent, of course, is the saxophone, and she completely just begs off. Don't make me do it. I don't want to do it. He's like, all right, fine, but you owe me. (laughs) All right. And then, of course, there's while recess is happening and Bart's out there campaigning even even harder, uh, Krabappel is trying to seduce Mr. Bergstrom, and they do it right out of The Graduate. They got the camera angle on everything with the leg up on the desk. He delivers the line. And at this point, if you haven't figured out who the guest actor is, that's the ultimate giveaway, which makes me wonder why he used the pseudonym in the first place. But we have trivia about that. We'll get to. And of course, when Lisa sees this and she leaves. Yeah, because she's got the crush. And when Bart's doing all of his stuff out there. Lisa and Bergstrom are watching, and now their classroom's on the second floor. So there's not even consistency in the own episode. I know in the future it becomes standard that Lisa's on the second floor and Bart's on the first, but they really couldn't figure that out now. And of course, this is the classic crush, right? So Lisa's, like, telling Marge about everything, like how... He cried during Charlotte's Web, and no, she notices this stuff. And, of course, Marge is relating everything to to Homer. And she's like, this is different. And she's like, no, it's not. It's the classic crush. But You have to believe that that's how I feel about your father. <laughs> but she almost can't believe it because, you know, the relationship he is, is... He is a baboon. In fact, the very next scene is when she's confessing about the, the Charlotte's Web part. Homer and Bart just start laughing uncontrollably. And Lisa gets pretty pissed about that. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, we get the, the montage of Bart running for president with the, uh, where he's just like, he's saying we need less asbestos. I say we need more of it. And Martin's just dripping with sweat at this point. And when Homer finds out that he's running for class president, he's like, what's, he's like, oh, you know, it's just a popularity contest. Well, what's more important than popularity? 
And that's the thing, right? Is of course Homer Homer believes that. That's come back to haunt him a couple of times. I mean, hell, wasn't that what happened with the telltale head? Bart chops off the head because he got this idea that being cool was the most important thing out there. Being popular and being cool. And as soon as Marge is like, where'd you hear a ridiculous thing like that? Homer immediately begs off. Oh, come on, Marge, lay off the boy. He's learned his lesson. Well, here we go again. Homer still believes this. And and now that we've seen the way we was, does Homer insist upon this because he himself wasn't popular in high school? But he also wasn't a nerd. No, he wasn't, but neither is Bart. Bart's not a nerd, but he's also not popular. I mean, he is in this moment because he's the class clown, but he's not really a popular kid. That's the thing, right? And Bart is just slaughtering Martin in every single debate. And I like the uh, the signs that are going up where <laughs> Martin and Wendell have the sign that says a vote for Bart is a vote for anarchy. And then there's Bart and Milhouse putting up a sign that says a vote for Bart is a vote for anarchy. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love it. And then Homer has the best one. Sex! Now that I have your attention, vote for Bart. So. Oh, God. The, uh. So it's suggested. So, of course, uh, Bergstrom informs the, uh. The students that the Springfield Natural History Museum is going to be shutting down for lack of interest. So make sure you don't miss it. And he's like, Lisa, can I have a word? And he kind of starts getting the hint about uh, about the father. And he's like, I think he should take you to this museum. And Marge thinks so too. And Homer does everything in his power to think his way out of it, but his own brain... Spend time with the boy. Yeah. And Bart immediately chimes him into it. But I love his brain turns on him. You know, if you were smarter, you could think your way out of it, but you're not. And then we get to find... We get to see... Homer's attitude firsthand when he's like, so what's the suggested donation here of 450? Well, that was, if you want to make a donation, we can do this. Oh, but the tickets are free, right? So what you're trying to make me do is pay for something that I can get for free. And you think these gullible idiots are actually going to do this. And man, Lisa's just, and that's exactly why that place is shutting down in a week. <laughs> yeah. Because of people like Homer. And, of course, they run into Mr. Bergstrom. And so here's something I picked up on. So first, they're they're looking at the T-Rex, right? And Lisa's holding hands with Homer. And he's given facts about the T-Rex. Razor-sharp teeth, but it could swallow you whole. Now they're looking at a, an Egyptian exhibit. And he's explaining how mummification works. And now she's holding hands with both of them. And then at the end, she's holding hands with just Mr. Bergstrom. And while she's uh, while they're having they're having lunch, you know, he's like, I think you need to spend more time with Lisa. She doesn't have a positive male role model in her life. And he's like, well, if she's so great, why don't you give her an A? I am giving her an A, you idiot. And the suggestion is made to have him over for dinner, because, again, another classic trope, right? Invite him over to dinner, get to know him, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they just did that with Principal Skinner. Or though that backfired because he ended up with the wrong twin. So. <laughs> yep. So Lisa's got the little bow in her hair and she's reciting how she's going to invite him to dinner. And when she opens up the classroom door, 
What does she see, Dan? Miss Hoover's back, back again. Oh God, she's erasing his name off the off the chalkboard and everything. Turns out it was psychosomatic. So does that mean you were crazy? No, that means she was faking it. Actually, no. It's actually a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> when the disease is in all the tabloids, you think you have it. She's like, so I want to hear from this Mr. Bergstrom. He didn't even touch my lesson plan. What the hell did he teach you, kids? And Lisa goes, that life is worth living and runs out crying. And of course, now it's time for what else? But it's the election. The election. It's So the polls will be open during recess. And Miss Hoover is really trying to incur- discourage them. So he's just like, well, what are your final statements? And Martin is just pale and sickly and defeated. And Bart's just like, victory party under the monkey bars. And everybody runs out and just leaves Martin alone. While Lisa ends up at the Bergstrom apartment complex, the happy gypsy where you pay by the day. And she can't get Bergstrom because he, of course, moved out. He's on his way to Capital City taking the train. And she realizes that, oh, she touched you too, huh? And, of course, us adults are like, oh, did more than just touch. So, yeah, so Bergstrom's out and Lisa's got to chase him down. Meanwhile, everybody forgot to vote or refused to vote. Including Bart himself. Party under the monkey bars. (laughs) And when the bell rings, there we are. With I need a recount or something. Oh, I could do that. It's pretty easy. One vote for Martin. Two votes for Martin. (laughs) You want another recount? No. Well, I do. (laughs) One vote for Martin. Two votes for Martin. And then the uh, the the class paper is the uh, the the mocking Dewey defeats Truman. Defeats Truman. Yeah. Yeah. Simpson defeats Prince with, and the headline is Prince defeats Simpson. <clears throat> and Lisa chases down Bergstrom at the train station, and they have the sentimental heart to heart. How are you going to leave without saying goodbye to me? She goes from angry to sad, and he's like, Well, you know, that's the problem with the middle class. Anyone who needs you will abandon you for those who need it, need it more. And she gives her sad speech and everything. And I can't really explain this scene too much because this is one of those scenes you kind of have to. What's well, really... a classic leaving on a train thing? Yeah. It's not, it's not actually romantic. Yeah, it's more inspirational. And he says, if you ever need anything. You just look at this note and everything will be okay. And of course she even does the, is it okay if I run next to the train while it whips you out of my life? And that's when he yells out, just read the note and all will be okay. And of course it's, you are Lisa Simpson. And that will, that's actually pretty iconic, pretty iconic moment right there in the Simpsons. But we can't end on a high note, right? We have to end on... We have to go for a negative note before we can get to our real high note. And that is uh, Homer's losing his mind because Bart lost the election. And he's like, what are you sad about? And Lisa's like, I'm not going to tell you. 
Oh, come on, Lisa, tell your father what's wrong. He's like, right, just because I don't care doesn't mean I don't understand. And that's when she freaking goes nuts. I'm so glad I'm not crying because I don't want you to think that this is affected by emotion. But you are a baboon. And freaks out on him and screams baboon, runs off crying. And of course, Homer's incensed by this. He's like, she called me a baboon, the stupidest monkey there is. And Marge yells back at him that he doesn't get to understand her feelings right now. So... Homer goes to give a heart-to-heart after he sits on Lisa's dollhouse and breaks it, of course. Are you upset that you yelled at Daddy? No! Don't! <laughs> but his, uh... His heart-to-heart is actually... Pretty good. You know? He's like, I don't understand how what it's like to, to lose somebody important because everyone I've ever loved and cared about is with me right here. And then even, he says, I can fix your dollhouse. I'm pretty good at monkey work and gets her to giggle. And it cheers her up. She Give me apologizes. banana. You have a banana? Yeah. Cheers her up. And then he even cheers Bart up. He's like, so what's going to happen that now he's president? Is he going to have to do extra work? Are there going to be any rewards? Is he going to do anything cool like toss out the, the first pitch at a baseball game, the World Series? Nah, let the baby have his bottle. Yeah. And... He even goes three for three because he sees Maggie's upset, puts the pacifier in her mouth. And as Marge is like, Homer, did you? He's like, no, 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 not another word. This is the best parenting streak of my life. He's on a roll, baby. He's on a roll, and he shuts off the light to the end of credits. And that is Lisa's Substitute with guest star Sam Eddick. Who? Dustin Hoffman. Get it? Semitic? Semitic. He's a Jew. I, th- I think that's pretty funny. Because he's a Jew. So, of course, we do have trivia about that. It's only one of two episodes where the star uses a pseudonym instead of their real name. We know the other one is Stark Raving Dad with Michael Jackson. This caused legal issues. And as a result, the producers were like, nope, you're not doing this anymore. You have to use your true name in the credits. So only two celebrities ever got away with it. And when we get to the itchy and scratchy movie, there's a great callback to that joke when Lisa mentions the guest voice actors who didn't use their real name, and it was Dustin Hoffman and Michael Jackson. She's like, they didn't use their real names, but you could tell it was them. Apparently, this was a very controversial episode when it was being made. According to John Vitti, it came at a point when the staff were just beginning to realize the comedy potential of the show, but we're trapped with all these love stories. And just as the staff was starting to get frustrated with all the love stories, along came Lisa's substitute, the biggest, huggiest, warmest, and fuzziest of them all. Yeah, it is true. It's a, it is a good episode like that. Because it doesn't have to be romantic. It, it shows a different kind of relationship, and I appreciate that. Is that what you appreciate about that? I do. You see, it's called Lisa's Substitute... Where it's supposed to be about the substitute teacher, but it ends up being a substitute father, and then she realizes, oh, man. Yeah, it's, that's pretty essential. That's <clears throat> So Dustin Hoffman had to do some pickups after his initial recording, and he did them from his trailer on the set of Hook. That's pretty cool. We all know about the seduction angle. That's, of course, in the trivia. 
<clears throat> John Vitti mentioned on Twitter that the note Lisa receives at the end of the episode should have been had an exclamation point at the end. He didn't catch it, and it still haunts him to this day. I don't know. I don't think that. I mean, I, I can. I get that, but I don't think that's necessarily. But the cast of the show flew to New York just to record the episode with Dustin Hoffman. And Yardley Smith, who plays Lisa, said she actually grew as an actress just working with Hoffman that day. So that's pretty cool. Al Jean says this is his favorite sentimental episode. This one's pretty interesting. In one particular scene, Maggie whimpers a little. Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart, was asked to play Maggie and she accepted, but spotted her then-husband, Warren Murphy, and her daughter, who was a baby at the time, walking into the studio. She asked one of the directors if her baby could do the little whimpers for Maggie. The director said yes, and Nancy Cartwright's daughter got to play Maggie. That's pretty freaking cool. They got a baby to be a baby. So, of course, we know that Mr. Bergstrom reads the line from the 1952 novel Charlotte's Web. It is implied that this line is the end of the book, but in reality, there's another chapter. According to John Vitti, the line was the maximum amount of book they could feature in the episode without being sued. The staff contacted a relative of author E.B. White, but she would not clear the use of the book. So that's why they had to go with that, what they did. Uh, of course, Sam Etic was a play on Semitic. Dan mentioned that one. <clears throat> and James L. Brooks believes that this episode stands out because it's the series' best show with a message behind it. I can see that. Nancy Cartwright even believes this is one of her top three favorite episodes, along with Bart the Mother and Bart Sells His Soul. And of course, we know in the actual history of the Old West, cowboys were Jewish, Black, Mexican, Indian, as well as Russian, German, and French. Now, we know that there are cameos made by Ralph before this, but... This is his first real appearance. And he even gets a line. Dear Miss Hoover, we miss you. Come back soon. Kevin's biting me. Here's a picture of a spirochete. Love, Ralph. Any more trivia that's necessary? There's a lot of trivia for this one. Holy crap. Uh, Dustin Hoffman's voice was too low on the singing tracks, so they... The staff were petrified that they wouldn't show on air, so they actually had to have him re-record those. And, of course, we have the uh, the famous Simpson defeats Prince thing. That was the, the uh, Chicago Tribune who made that error in the 1948 election. The telephone polls overwhelmingly favored Dewey, so that's how they printed it. And then, of course, following Truman's election, he was touting the image. So they had to parody that. Great episode. What do you think, Dan? Yep. Can you, you not, really... Again, it was not too much fun. There is some fun, though. It's the, the, the B plot is your fun, right? The right. A plot, the A plot is the... Uh, 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 uh. But it's also fantastic. But that's also... A good, they, they At this point, they found a way to... Have a touching, harmful episode, but keep the fun and the funny 
as part of the B plot. Correct. Whereas yeah. before, earlier in this season and in season one, we would have just all one or the other. And so now they're learning to balance the show better. That's what... only season two. Right. And season two is actually almost done. There's only three more episodes left. And uh, yeah, this is this is top tier for the season. Potentially even the best episode of the season. I'd have to really go back and review the other episodes. But this one's really, really good. It's in the top three at the very least. When we do a when I eventually do a Chris Franks the Universe, I'll see where it ends up officially. But yeah, this is this is a top this is top tier Simpsons writing. It's so good. It it delivers a message, it delivers emotions, and it's also funny. It's a perfect balance, develops Lisa's character, and even gives a really big uh moment to Homer. I mean, that's a big thing when he actually gets that time with his kids, you know? I mean, obviously the Maggie thing was simple, but he went three for three with his kids. And that's not that often that Homer is that successful. It's not that often that real people are that successful. Yeah, that's true too, so. Uh, Next time on Stupid Sexy Podcast, we're going to do The War of the Simpsons. Uh, I'll tell you right now, we're going to go back down to the tier because we got to do another Homer-Marge marriage issue. Because, of course, we just have to. That's, uh... Yeah. That's one of those, uh... It's one of those annoying ones where, like, we've already... We've already done it. We're already revisiting it. And they're going to revisit it a hundred more times. But we'll see how this one turns out. And then the following time, following episode, we're going to have a guest on when we review Three Men and a Comic Book. Jeff Trelowitz of Real Paranormal Talk. And Ranking Tracks has claimed a guest spot for this episode when we review Three Men and a Comic Book. And then when we're done with that one, all we have left is Blood Feud, and we will conclude Season 2. So we, i got to get those Chris Franks universes done in time for uh, before we really get deep into Season 3. So I want to make sure we don't get too far ahead. We also have to do Mandalorian Season 2. We'll work on that. It's coming. It's all coming. All right, any final thoughts before we wrap up this week? Uh, preparation H feels good on the whole. <laughs> I was going to tell you, I was going to tell you to just uh to just look at the note. You are Dan Peck. Now I am. <clears throat> it's all you need. It's all you need. Well, he is Dan Peck. I am Chris O'Mealy, and we will see you next time. On the Stupid Sexy Podcast. Feels like I'm podcasting nothing at all. <laughs>